invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Here we have a good Thanksgiving, had a good time, eat a lot of food. I heard a story about a man who, after he had Thanksgiving dinner, he was uh, standing in his, in his bedroom in, in the master bathroom, looking in the mirror. His wife was, you know, had two sinks, and she was, you know, doing her thing, and he's standing there. And he looked in the mirror, and he said, dear, he said, I am so fat, I am so disgusting. I need you to say something nice to me. She said, well, your eyesight's good. <laughs> So uh, I, wrote a, I wrote a small article for the Pastor's Corner. It's supposed to come out in December sometime uh, for, the, for the newspaper. And uh, I wrote about feasting. And the, in this time of year, we're feasting all the time. We're, you know, it's that time of the year where you don't want to start a diet. <laughs> you want to wait till January, uh, you know, three years from now <laughs> to start a diet. You're thinking about, you know, watching what you eat. And it's a time of feasting. You know, we have... Uh, the Thanksgiving feast, we have Christmas feast, we have Super Bowl feast, <laughs> we have all these feasts uh, coming up, and, and we can feast on Christ. And Christ is not a, it's not a once a year kind of feast. It's a continual everyday feast where we feast upon Jesus. When I was a kid, there was always a lot of emphasis about going back to a place, a moment in time where you became a Christian. Do you remember when you became a Christian? Do you remember the, the time or the place? And Valerie and I, we were in churches, they had this little song they would sing. It was, uh, was how's it go, Valerie? It was on, they, they would sing, it was on a Sunday when somebody touched me, and, and they would go around the crowd, and it would be, it was on a Monday, and everybody who did Monday, who got saved on Monday, raised their hand, and you know, that's great if you remember one day you were saved on, but uh, it's kind of, when you, the more you know about the Lord and how salvation works, as you look back in your life, it's, it's harder to put your finger on an exact moment when you became a Christian. But you know you are a Christian because you've put your faith in Christ. And I've been, I've been saved a long time, and I find myself placing my faith in Christ day after day after day, every day. I'm trusting Him as my Savior. It's not a conscious thing, Lord, save me, forgive me of my sins, or a sinner's prayer kind of thing. It's a daily resting in Christ, daily trusting Him with my soul, trusting in the Lord, trusting in the Lord. Well, let's talk about the Lord who we're going to be trusting in, who we are trusting in. I want to give you a sermon today entitled, The Word Became Flesh, Flesh. three points, when, how, and why, when, how, and why. All my notes are on one piece of paper. Valerie asked me this morning, she said, why are you writing on sideways on it? Because <laughs> I just want one piece of paper today. And uh, so, Lord willing, we'll be out here by 3 o'clock, Okay. The Word became flesh. John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What a blessed promise that is. The darkness has not overcome it. And cannot and will not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The Greek word for John is Terry, in case you didn't know that. (laughs) He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. 
The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. He came into his own, and they did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We trust the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. The word became flesh. When did this happen? When did this happen? You know, a lot of times we're singing this Christmas, Christmas time, and I like, I like Christmas songs, and I think you guys do too. But we have to remember is that Jesus did not become, he was not created, he did not become, he was not incarnate on the night he was born. Jesus Christ became the Son of God at his conception. The Bible tells us that the, Holy, that the angel came to Mary and said the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and there will be a child will be produced within you. The egg of the woman and the power of God's Holy Spirit making a human man, a divine man, a man who is truly God and truly man in a virgin's womb. This took place at that very moment. You see, when Jesus was born into the world, he'd already been incarnate, he'd already been a person for For nine months, he'd already been around. He was there, and for nine months, he's living and and, and thriving off the things that his mother produces in her body. He became the Son of God in a virgin's womb. But when did this happen? It happened then. Why did it happen at that time in history? It happened at the time of God's choosing. Have you guys read the Bible, read the Old Testament? You know, the, the big part? Read the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, you see God doing all kinds of things. God the Father, in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. God doing all these glorious and wonderful things. If you use the Robert Murray McShane Bible reading schedule, which I do, which you should do because you love God, amen? (laughs) If you read your Bible regularly, it takes you through the Old Testament one time every year. And as you read it, I'm always struck by all the things that God does. God does and God does and God does. And God does all these magnificent, marvelous things. And the thing that strikes me about it is God does them all from a distance. He does them all from heaven. He does them all from eternity. He does them all from the heavenly throne. And he does all these wonderful, mighty works on the earth. But then Jesus comes into the world. And now Jesus is doing these very things on the earth. This is one of the things that struck the Jews is that Jesus was doing, he, Jesus claimed to be God, he said that he was God, and then he did the things you would expect a God to do. If I told you that I was God, what kind of works would you expect me to do? You'd expect me to raise the dead, to raise the blind, to raise the blind, <laughs> to, to heal the blind, to restore twisted limbs. You'd expect me to do all those things. Jesus demonstrates his divine power in magnificent ways, even by raising Jairus' daughter. And she'd have been long dead. And he's walking through the crowd to go to Jairus' house. A woman who has an issue of blood. A woman who is bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. For 12 years she's bleeding. And she just touches his garment. Not even his flesh, just touches his clothing. And she's healed in a moment. This, this, this is what Jesus comes into the world doing. And he does all those things here in the body. In the Old Testament, if you have a Schofield reference Bible, you might notice in Genesis 1, chapter 1, it says that this begins 
4004 B.C. I'm pretty sure that's, that's, that's the date. 4004 B.C. But Jesus was not incarnate for thousands of years after that. Why did God wait thousands of years? Thousands of years to, make, to bring Jesus into the world. Why, did, why such a long delay? It's because God, is, God has his own plan, his own timing. I've been a Christian a while, and I've been, I've been asking God for stuff. You guys, know, you guys ever ask God for stuff? You ever pray? Say, Lord, please do this, please do that. Have you noticed that the Lord's kind of slow? He doesn't answer like we think He should or wish He would. It's kind of delayed, but always comes in His timing. In His timing. And at a time of God's choosing, on the, on the day marked on His calendar, He brought forth His Son into the world through a woman. After thousands of years, we have the incarnation of Christ. Now, when you think about the incarnation of Christ, there's a couple things you need to remember. First of all, is that Jesus was not a created being. He was not created. He pre-existed, and then He was made flesh. This is a big idea, the Word being made flesh. Jesus pre-existed. Did, where were you before you were conceived in your mother's womb? Where were you? Well, you were nowhere. You didn't exist, but Jesus did exist. He was the eternal word, John says, who was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was not created. When he took on flesh, he was infleshed. He was made apparent. I think it's verse 18 of John 1. says he was made manifest. He was made obvious to us. John Calvin refers to Jesus as being the speech that's from the foundation of the world. The word becoming flesh. The Spirit becoming flesh. That's how Jesus existed with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Existing in one divine essence, three separate persons, one divine essence, all in spirit. But then God sent forth Jesus from heaven into the virgin's womb to be a man. To be a man. How manly was Jesus? Well, Jesus was exactly like you and I are. Think of of this. These are... These are things to kind of chew around. Jesus was made flesh. He was a baby. And so, as a baby, he endured all the things that babies go through. He was nursed by his mother. Nursed by his mother. Washed by his mother. Clothed by his mother. Diapered by his mother. Changed by his mother. This is the eternal word. The God-man. And he has a dirty diaper. And his mom has to change him. Such condescension, such humility. Then he lived in in a body like you and I have. He had to go through puberty just like you and me. What a great time that was. The Bible says, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, going through all the temptations that we had, but never sinning, enduring all those things. Now, some people say that that when Jesus began his earthly ministry, that by that time that Joseph, who had been his uh, stepfather, had died. If that's true, then, then Jesus watched his, the guy that raised him and loved him and cared for him, took him as his own, so he watched that guy die. Watched his mother have heartbreaks. He had brothers and sisters, and you know, that was a, that's a special kind of torment, to have brothers and sisters. I only had one brother. If I had a sister, I'd probably be in prison. 
All, that's what Jesus is living through. All, the same life that you and I have, are living through. The same difficulties. He came into the world. He was, made, he was, he was born. He was not made. He was not, cre- he was not created. He was enfleshed. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 says that Jesus, that he did not think the equality of God was something to be used to his own advantage, but something to be, to be given up. Given up so that he could be obedient even unto the death of the cross. Colossians 1.15 giving a similar, a similar statement about Jesus. When did Jesus become flesh? He became flesh at the time of God's choosing, at the time of God's appointment. And then the question is how? How can this happen? Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 37 tell us how this came to be. It doesn't tell us very much, though. It tells us the, the details around it, kind of gives us the overview of the story, but it doesn't tell us exactly how it happened. It's a mystery to us how this took place, how the, the egg, the actual egg in, in a woman's womb could be brought to life by the power of God. What, 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 what is that? How does that take place? The Bible just says simply this in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Verse 34, when Mary is told she's going to have a son, she says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Mary had never seen this happen before. Nobody ever heard of it before. A girl without a husband, a girl who is not sexually active, how can she have a child? How can it be? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That means the offspring of the divine, that He is God's offspring. He's God's production. This is something incredible. It's a virgin birth. Jesus was born of a virgin. Why? This is something that the Jewish people, they they tripped over. They didn't understand that she would be a virgin. They thought that the son, that the Messiah would be an anointed soldier, an anointed king, someone with great power, who would do great works and who would lead the people forward. How could it be? How could this be? Why was this necessary? Do you think that God could have anointed any person with the Holy Spirit, with the power of the Holy Spirit? He he can. And he could have done anything he wanted with any person that way. Read the Old Testament, you see him doing that. But why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Why this kind of person? Because Jesus had to be human and he had to be holy. He had to be human and he had to be holy. And there are no holy humans except for Jesus. Oftentimes, we, we lose sight of this sometimes, is that we are born sinners. We come forth from the womb, the Bible says, speaking lies. We are corrupt. We are defiled from the beginning. We had this pollution of original sin. And Jesus, he had to be human and he had to be holy. The only way to have a holy man is for him to have a nature different than ours. He had to have a divine nature. He couldn't be defiled by sin. And so... Jesus is the Son of God. He's holy in His nature. He had to be born without the stain of original sin. 
Jesus had to be able to, as a small boy, submit to his mother in every instance. To never steal a cookie from the cookie jar. To never watch something on the internet that he wasn't supposed to watch. To be perfect. To never have a bad thought. To never take advantage of a situation. To go through his teenage years and resist all the fiery passions of that phase of life. To work and be honest. and That required a special person. It required a special birth to be without sin. So he was human. And he was holy. But why did that have to be? Why did Jesus have to be human and holy? Why did the eternal spirit have to become enfleshed? Why did that have to happen? A spirit, there's two things a spirit can't do, okay? A spirit can't die and a spirit can't bleed. A spirit can't die and a spirit can't bleed. Do you guys remember that great film from the probably the late the mid eighties, Ghostbusters? There's something strange, and it don't look good. <laughs> Who are you gonna call? <laughs> Ghostbusters. You know, this, I, I think that's the first time I've heard the word paranormal. <laughs> paranormal activity. And, they, and, they, and the, the ghosts are doing all kinds of things in the city, right? But they, but they can't do anything about it. They can't grab them. They can't shoot them. They can't capture them. But there's nothing they can do, so they have to have these special weapons. These special weapons that can deal with these intangible things. Spirits. A spirit cannot bleed and it cannot die. But a body can. And so God the Father sent the eternal word into the world. He was made flesh so he could bleed and die. Bleed and die. That's why Jesus came, was to bleed and die. That was his purpose. Let's read a bunch of verses about this. Take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse number 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Jesus Christ came into the world and he died. He shed his blood for your sins so that you could be reconciled to God, so you and God could be brought together. So, you know, the Bible uses this word atonement. 
The word atonement was created by, it was invented by a man named William Tyndale, who was a very influential person. Well, he, if you, wouldn't have a, you wouldn't have an English Bible in your lap right now if it wasn't William Tyndale. William Tyndale, in bringing the Bible into English, he was trying to describe what it meant. And he's, he, so he invented the word atonement. He invented it to describe this idea of being brought to oneness, at one be bringing God and man together. Only Jesus could do that through his blood, bringing you and God together in the atonement, being brought together, reconciled with God, being put on good terms with God. It's only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. So he had to come into the world. He had to be a fleshly savior so that he could bleed and die. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 15. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, referring to the Old Testament sacrificial system, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean, ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Jesus Christ has poured out his blood. Now, when, he, when Paul talks about this place of atonement here, this place of offering, he means in heaven. There was an earthly tabernacle, which was a picture of the true tabernacle. Jesus Christ ascended into the heavenly place and through the Holy Spirit offered his blood on the mercy seat, his own blood. Now, get this picture in your mind. So, in the Old Testament, they had the the, the, the tabernacle had, a, big, had, a, had a, a linen fence around it. On the inside had another tent. It wasn't that big of a place. I think 40 by, 50, 40 by, 40 by 15. It had two rooms. In the, front, in, the, in the first room was a place where the priests did, did their daily work. But in the back of it was one room and had a veil over it. And uh, I don't know if this is true or not, so just give me some latitude here. The veil, some scholars say that that veil was 18 inches thick. Woven fabric, 18 inches thick. Now, that's heavy duty. It's, it's, it, it was like a wall, but it was made of linen. It was, it was woven. Very beautiful. And, but only once a year, the high priest would go behind that thing and offer an annual sacrifice of blood. Only once a year. And on the, on the mercy seat on top of it. And uh, this is the way I've, I've heard it described, is it? When the, when the high priest, they would cut the throat of the sheep and the blood would gush out, they would catch it in a, in a, in a, in a, in a bowl of, of, of a certain kind. But they had to keep shaking it around because, you know, blood gets stiff. And they would take it from outside, they would go in there, they would go behind that thick curtain, and they would throw a little bit on one corner to cover two sides and another on the other corner to cover two sides. And then they would put some in the, in the center of it. And that was where they would offer the blood of a lamb to atone for sins for one year for the people. 
But the Bible says that Jesus, he went into the tabernacle in the heavens. Not one of his own creation, not one made down here, but one made by God himself in heaven. Jesus ascended up into that place, into the very presence of God. And he didn't go in there with a bowl full of lamb's blood. He went in there with his own blood. I saw, I saw one preacher do this. He said, he said, Jesus walked into the mercy seat, stuck his fingers in his own wounds, and went, offered his own blood on the mercy seat. This is what a fleshly person does. Jesus offering up his own, his own blood. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 2. It says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, the NIV here uses the phrase atoning sacrifice. This is not a word, this is, these are not two words I really care for. I like the word propitiation better because that, that's, a, that's, <laughs> that's a word that means atoning sacrifice. <laughs> but propitiation means something a little bit stronger. Propitiation means, it means to be a propitiation means you bore the wrath that was due another. Jesus bore the wrath of God that was due to you. He's your substitute. He died. His blood was poured out, was shed. Matthew 26, 28, when Jesus is instituting the Lord's table, Jesus said, this, this, this is my blood of the New Testament. Listen to the reading. 26, 28. Then he took a cup, and this is verse 27. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Symbolically, Jesus says, This is my blood. I'm pouring it out. He came to shed his blood. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, listen to what God's word says here. This is the Apostle Paul preaching to the Ephesian elders. The last sermon that they get to hear him here. Listen to what he says. And pay attention to the words he uses here in verse 28. Paul says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The blood of Jesus, the blood of God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it says that Jesus... That God made Jesus to be an atoning sacrifice that through his blood we can be justified. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says almost the same thing. Listen to the reading. Ephesians 1 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Turn the page to Ephesians 2 13. Listen to the reading. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier and dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Let me turn the page just a little further to Colossians chapter 1. Listen to God's word. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 20. For, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now turn all the way towards the back of the New Testament. To 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 2. 1 Peter. Peter says, writing to those who are the scattered, the exiles, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Look at verse 19. Verse 18, For for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The blood of Christ. One more. Romans chapter 1, not Romans 1. Revelation 1, verse number 5. Listen to the reading. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. You see, a spirit cannot bleed and die. Jesus had to be made flesh so he could bleed and die. Because it's only through the blood of Christ that you can be brought into a fellowship with God. It's only through Jesus' blood that you can be saved. It's only through faith in his blood. Faith in his blood. Faith that his blood does the job. Faith in him. Confidence in his atonement. Not confidence in yourself. Not confidence in church membership or baptism or any earthly ordinance. But confidence that Jesus was the sacrifice who is accepted by God. And that his blood was poured out for you so you could be brought into fellowship with God. The blood of Christ. You know, as a kid, I always heard, I always heard, I always heard, you hear a lot of boogeyman stories about religion. And, and, one, and one of those was that, you know, fundamental Christianity, Bible-believing Christianity, was a slaughterhouse religion because of making such a big deal about the blood of Christ. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins. The blood of Christ is precious blood, poured out for sinners, poured out by in love, so sinners could be brought into fellowship with God. It's only through Jesus' blood, through faith in it, through confidence in it, that you can be saved. Believing, you know, people get uh, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to. People get in a twist all the time about the extent of the atonement. The extent of the atonement. There, there's two views, there's two views of the atonement. One is that Jesus died for every single person of all time, everywhere, and salvation is possible for every person. That's one view. The other view is that Jesus only died for those people who were chosen or elect or who or who he knew would believe on him. That's that's the way, that's the two views of the atonement. I have never known anybody who was saved because they believed Jesus died for everybody. When I became a Christian, I really didn't care if Jesus died for anybody but me. Believing Jesus died for everybody doesn't save anybody. What you need to believe is that Jesus died for you. That he died for you. 
that he became your Savior, that he went there with your sins. The only, way, the only way that happens is if when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the truth that Jesus died for you. Died for you. I, I was raised in church. Like a lot of, how many of you guys got, how many of you guys are raised in church in a, in a Bible-believing preaching church? That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. How many of you sat in church and heard the gospel preached and meant nothing to you when you, were, when you went to church? Anybody like, oh, that was me. Didn't mean anything to me. I'm just sitting there. And because I was a, I sat by my mom sometimes, and I sat by my brothers, and I sat by my friends, and I didn't care at all what was happening in the church. I didn't care at all. My mind was a million miles away. I didn't care. I remember, I remember when my, my brother became a Christian when he was about six or seven years old. I was the older brother, and my, and my brother was very annoying to me. Very annoying to me. And... Uh, so he became a Christian, and I was, I was a year older than him, and then uh, he became a Christian. And then first thing he does is because we did everything together, he loved me. First thing he starts talking about is being a Christian. The first person to ever witness to me, to tell me about Jesus, to tell me that I should trust in Jesus, was my brother. And I'm like, hey, I go to church too, dummy. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me anything. <laughs> But there, there we were. We, we, we sat in church. I remember when I, was th- when I was 14, he was 13. The Lord called him to preach. And I remember sitting there going, thinking, this is so dumb. Now I've got to listen to him all the time. <laughs> Do you know how annoying it is to have a, a little brother who's a preacher? We, 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 would, we, would go, we would go to fellowship meetings, and, you know, a boy preacher was always a novelty. Here's a 13-year-old. Yeah, my dad would say, man, my youngest son's called to preach. And he really? You're called to preach? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. And they say, you want to give a sermon today? And he'd always get a chance to preach someplace. And then it'd always be, you know, people would introduce my brother and they would brag about him. You know, he's, you know, praise the Lord for all this. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, just kill me now. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to hear him preach. But I can remember being at places in my with my parents and my brother, and they were all getting a blessing out of going to church, and I was not getting a blessing out of it. It was just so much noise to me. My parents dragging me to church, making me do all that stuff. You know, I just didn't like it. But I can remember when it changed, when the Lord opened my eyes to my true condition. And I realized that Jesus died for me. That that blood was shed for me. That Jesus was calling me to come to him. It it narrowed down. I heard the general stuff all the time. John 3, 16, the whole nine yards, I heard all the, all the big statements. But it wasn't until a certain time in my life when it got narrowed down to me and God put his divine finger right on my chest and said, you are a sinner and you are going to go to hell and I am here to save you from it. Personal, personal driven down to where it touched me. And I put my confidence and my faith for salvation in Jesus and in no one else. Believing that His blood was poured out for me. Only by believing that the blood of Christ was shed for you can you be saved by trusting in it. You know what the word believe means? The word believe means to entrust oneself to. 
to entrust oneself to. You're entrusting yourself to Jesus. When you're believing in Jesus, you're entrusting yourself to Jesus. You're resting in Jesus. Jesus came to be your Savior. He went through the great condescension of being the eternal word, coming down and being being made flesh. And being finally, ultimately obedient even to death, the death of the cross. Dying for sinners. Shedding his blood for them. Taking their place. Becoming their propitiation. Jesus. Jesus did this not as a child, but as a man. Living his whole life for this end. To be the one who would die for sinners. To take away sins. This is why Jesus became flesh. He became flesh because a spirit cannot bleed and die. Jesus came. Bled and died. So that you could be reconciled to God through faith in his son. Put your faith in his son. Listen to this reading from John. It says that the world did not recognize him. He came unto his own people, the Jews, but they did not receive him. Yet to those who did receive him, this is John 1, 12, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. I pray God will give us all this knowledge, faith. Salvation is only gotten through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. (coughs) Excuse me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us all to be cognizant of the fact But we need to put our faith in Jesus. And you see that he came into this world to to, to save us. This is the why, the great why. Came to reconcile sinners to you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this hymn.